Pete Giuliano, good morning. It is Saturday, the 31st of October, Halloween 2020. Halloween 2020, that's particularly scary, Pete. What what number is this? 226. Crank Holy, it in, Ralph. Yeah, crank it crank in. Crank it in, Ralph. Yeah, 226. Right. 226. Here we are. And um, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird day to be doing uh, the podcast Halloween. We'll talk about that in a minute. But also, we are just three days before a very important U.S. election. Yes. And we, Pete and I, have been talking about it. We feel obligated to express our opinion and to let our listeners in the U.S. know who we think they should support. Yes. And now, some of you are going to think this is inappropriate. No, we just. We've been. We thought about it a lot. Too bad. We just disagree. All right, and the, I guess the reason that we disagree is because several of the long-running and some of the more recent themes of solder smoke are wrapped up in this election, and and we're gonna we're gonna explain. First, from the beginning, always solder smoke has been all about global community the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards, how people all over the world share the same interests, the, sh- the same knack stories, the same kind of sequence of events that led them to ham radio. And when you look at the, the candidates, Trump just rejects the idea of global community. He says it very clearly that he rejects this. He's all about building walls, imposing travel bans, rejecting refugees. He's all about circling the wagons, Getting and rich blaming our, and, and getting rich and blaming our problems on foreigners. Mm. So this is one of the reasons we oppose him. Now, second, speaking of science, um, wait, solder smoke's all about science and technology. Trump is just anti-science. Look, at the most basic level, he is a climate change denier. You know, Pete's out there dealing with burning California, you know, the Gulf of Mexico is getting slammed with record numbers of hurricanes, all the evidence, all the science points to climate change, and he just denies the whole thing. We're all about science and technology. That's another reason we oppose Trump. Speaking of science, since the onset of the pandemic, we have been urging solder smoke listeners to protect themselves and their families, and their communities by following the advice of doctors and scientists. This seemed like such a no-brainer. We, we could never imagine that somebody would oppose what we were doing. We, we urge people to socially distance and to wear masks. We even invented an acronym that kind of made this a bit, a bit of fun. SITS, stay in the shack. Remember that? Incredibly, Trump has been pushing in the opposite direction. He ridicules the use of masks. He calls our leading doctors, including Dr. Anthony Fauci, idiots. He he stages super spreader events at his rallies and at the White House. Look, more than 200,000 Americans have been killed by this thing. I, I personally know five people who have buried close relatives. One friend from college lost his wife. Another, another friend, lost both of her parents. So this is no fooling around. Yet that Trump still treats this virus as some sort of political hoax against him. 
He was just saying the other day, he says, on November 4th, everybody's going to stop talking about this. It's ridiculous. This is one of the many reasons we oppose him. Look, Pete and I are both military veterans. And it's, we have both been really deeply offended by the way Trump, who is a draft dodger himself, has disparaged those who have gone into harm's way for the United States. We remember what he said about John McCain and the many other things that he said. His scorn for veterans and service members is another reason we oppose him. Look, there are many other reasons to oppose Trump. We're just scratching the surface. We're just touching on those that are most relevant to the Solder Smoke podcast. Um, Election day is Tuesday. Please, for the good of the country and for the world, get out there and vote against Trump. Wear your mask and stay safe as you do so, but get out and vote especially if you're living in Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Texas, or Omaha, Nebraska, please help vote Trump out of office and please urge your friends and relatives to do the same. Amen. All right. I had to say that. I I, I just need to add a postscript to that. Go ahead, About About the, the four items that you should observe, you know, wearing a mask, social distancing, avoid crowds, wash your hands. Uh, I have been advised by a, a non-specific scientific type to not wear my beret because it's a chick magnet. <laughs> I'll get you in socially distancing trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Never lose your sense of humor, guys. Never no, lose, no, your, can't lose your sense, sense of humor. humor. Yeah. Yeah, speaking sure. of sense of humor, Halloween. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I like Halloween. Oh I'm yeah, kinda, I'm kind of disappointed by Halloween this year because, because we, you know, we, we normally don't get a lot of kids coming looking for trick or treats, and we'll get even fewer this year. But I am ready, and I think I'm thinking about when this podcast is is in the can, going out and putting up, kind of rigging up a, a a basket that I can lower from the front window, so we won't even have to go outside. But if the kids show up at the door, we could just, you know, let let out the uh, the, the parachute cord. Oh, oh I, I I got a I got a deal here. I got a stepladder, okay. Uh huh. And I have an electronic pumpkin with with flashing LEDs for the for the eyes. Uh-huh. And then then I have an aluminum disposable aluminum tray. I'm going to put the candy in there. And then I'm going to sit in the garage and have that yeah. out in front of the house so I can keep social distance, but I can see the kids and they'll get their treats. All right, all right. So, sounds good, Pete. It sounds like you're 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 ready to go. Oh yeah, we'll do something like that. Um, listen. Uh, speaking of um, kind of the the calendar, um, there's some less con- less contentious poll numbers out there. I'm talking about sunspots. Yes, we we've been talking about this. It looks like cycle 25 is underway. Solar flux index is 78 this morning, with the sunspot number this morning 32. Ooh, that's better than zero. (laughs) Better than zero. That's been for a long time. Um, Pete, I know you've been skeptical and cynical about prospects for for cycle 25. You've been a bit of a wet blanket on this one. I've been trying to to encourage the universe to cooperate with our propagation, and you just keep saying, no, it's not going to be like 1959. Well, it won't be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it won't be. And we find out why. Because I recently discovered something that we hadn't been aware of. The Gleisberg cycle. 
the Gleisberg cycle. Oh, that's cycle. the 88 or 100 year, whatever that is. It's like an 80, 80, 80 year cycle. Mm. And this explains why some sol so solar maxes are less max than others. So apparently we are at the kind of the, the, down, the downward portion of the Gleisberg cycle, which is a real bummer because it means that only future generations of solder smokers will be able to benefit from truly phenomenal propagation conditions. Bummer. All right, speaking of calendars, I, I, I talked last time about Mars. I've been observing Mars with my six-inch Dobsonian reflector telescope because Mars is in opposition. It's as close as it's going to get to us until, we're not going to see it this close until 2036. Again, yeah. we're talking Gleisberg, Gleisberg time frames here. But um, I had a really good run with Mars all the way through like um, September. And then in October, not so good. The weather's been not great. So you get up in the morning, you think I'm going to look at Mars and there's clouds. You can't go out there and do, do Mars observations. Also, I'm kind of an early morning observer. And just because of the position of the planets, Mars is now setting really early. Mars is like down in the trees by about four o'clock in the morning. So if I wanted to get a good look at it, and you, the best look is when it's pretty much straight up overhead, I'd have to be out there with the telescope at like two o'clock in the morning. Ooh. That hurts. I know. And people think you're nuts. They think you're nuts already, and they see you lurking around your backyard at two o'clock in the morning. Gotta call the cops on you. <laughs> <laughs> at best. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, uh, I, I don't know. I got I have my my notebook filled with drawings. I've got some good drawings. Where's, of, your, where's uh, your camera? Uh, you know, I, I thought about putting the camera on there, but it's it's hard because it's a Dobsonian telescope, and Mars is like moving through the the field of view really quickly, so it's really hard to get kind of a stable image. So I haven't really tried with the camera. Plus, diehard kind of. I guess hardware-defined astronomers, amateur astronomers, say there are benefits to kind of doing drawings because it forces you to sort of focus on the image and look at it for a while. And the, 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 the image will kind of move in and out of, of clarity and you're able to spot and think about what you're seeing. And so there are some advantages in doing things the old-fashioned way, as I frequently reminded you, Pete as you slide into the dark side of SDR. I, mean, I, had, to get, I had to get that dig in there. Anyway, that's, that's sort of um, where we are calendar-wise. Pete, um, what's on your bench? Well, first of, I, I need to share something with you. Tell me. Okay. Uh, on October the 19th, a number two son and his wife uh, had a welcome addition to the family. Congratulations, uh, Luca, Grandpa. Yeah, yeah, Luca Jade. And she's just the cutest thing ever. And uh, I, I am thankful in many ways that everything went well. But but also it, it's a bright spot in their life during this terrible time. You know, we have a lot of people passing, but we have some people joining our ranks. And I'm, I'm delighted. It's, it's regrettable that it's occurring right now because it can't take the baby out. <laughs> you know, no, you can't. No, you're you're at home. You're at you're home. At home. Yeah, so, so are you doing? Are you doing a lot of a lot of Skype visits? A oh, lot of Zoom. FaceTime? Oh, Zoom. Yeah. Zoom, cool. FaceTime. Yeah, cool. Well, it was interesting. Uh, they they zoomed 
right after the baby was born in the hospital room. Yeah. Here's all these people in PPE. <laughs> you know, Gosh, you, I know. You just, you just it, it was this little baby, and everybody's got the masks on and the gowns and everything else. So it's just wow. Kind of now. Kinda, is this is this your son who's up in San Francisco? No, this is the one in Hollywood. In Hollywood, okay, all right. We're close by there. Well, yeah. when 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 we get past the pandemic, you'll be spending some yeah. some time with. With Luca Jade, very yeah, good. Yeah, just kind of kind of cool. It's uh, very nice. They're excited. We're excited. So that's that's the second grandchild. Although that's the second girl, so no 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 boys showing up. And I I'm not sure there's going to be any to follow this. But it's it's nice to see a welcome addition to the family. Oh man, that's 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 wonderful news. Congratulations, yeah, Pete. Yeah, that's great. So cool. Yeah. All right, now what's on the bench? Um, on the bench at, I, at, at the, the labs a, of Newberry Park. I, I, I'm a little lost because since the last podcast, I've built several transceivers. <laughs> well, more than six weeks have passed. So you, uh, I, I wrote notes. I think I think we're, we were we were talking about forty nine. Uh, I think we're over fifty. I know, but we started it. We we, we got to take them in sequence. So yeah. what happened with forty nine? Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, the last podcast we built the built the. Um, the one with the MC fourteen ninety six that transceiver that's the two bander, so yeah. that worked out real well. And then I had a the first version of the shirt pocket transceiver that I smoked the whole final section, so I rebuilt that. So that that's another that's another unit and that works out. That's that worked quite well. That's that's nice to see. It's it's a little bigger than the shirt pocket, but it's a very and it's got a homebrew filter in it. And then I took the um, Direct conversion receiver, the direct conversion receiver with the MC fourteen ninety six, and mm-hmm. I built another transceiver out of that. That's that's still in work. I'm going to replace the filter in that, so that's that's kind of good. And then uh, I built uh, the micro SDX. So I think we're probably when we're all done, we're going to be at around fifty one. The micro SDX uh, personally was a disappointment. Uh, essentially what happened, uh, Guido Tendali took the, uh, the, uh, QCX, uh, transceiver from Hans and he converted that into a single sideband transceiver. <clears throat> quite a, quite a few innovations in that. It's, it works off of a single microcontroller, the 328 that's in the, uh, Arduino Uno and you program that thing. He uses a class E amplifier, three BS 170s to develop uh, a five watts output. It's all on a single board, and uh, the boards are really inexpensive. Uh, you can buy all the parts for this thing for about 30 bucks. Uh, you just go to Mauser DigiKey and you put in the bill of material, not spits all the parts. It goes together kind of easily. The board is kind of nice, but I, I did not have very good success with it. Um, it works okay on CW, but on sideband, uh, the received sideband, just not there. And the transmitted sideband is terrible. I mean, I listen to myself on SDR, uh, tra- transceiver, you know, parked about three feet away so I could look at the spectrum and everything else. It's just awful. And uh, so they've upgraded the software, and everybody claims that it's been fixed, and people are, you know, guys get out there. They know how to connect two wires together and not much else. And they say, oh, yeah, I made all these contacts, you know, and wonderful reports. I, I don't know where they're coming from, but those who know, there there are some people that really know. 
they're in my corner. They're saying it's it's got some problems, and I think it's the problem is the 328 is just being taxed beyond its capability. I mean, this is a 16 megahertz processor, <clears throat> and you're asking it to do a lot of things. And in time, some may resolve the issues. Uh, I think they went to a different processor, uh, like a Teensy. A Teensy 4.0 would handle that thing no problem because uh, Charlie Morris did that. And I've got two Charlie Morris uh, ZL2 CTM transceivers, and it works perfect because it's a more powerful processor and it's more capable to, to handle that kind of task. So there are people still struggling with it. Uh, um, I, I have just put it in a box and said, you know, maybe someday this will work. But my experience, and I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I, I got all the right parts in the right places. I built it properly. There are no bad components in there. I've tried different 328s in there. Just I was not successful with it. And frankly, I'm not going to put a signal on the air that sounds like that sounds. Now, some people don't worry about it and just do it, but I, I sure do. I, we have a responsibility to put out a signal of, of good quality, and that's just not there. <clears throat> and uh, I, 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 I feel bad because a lot of people look to this as a really inexpensive SDR. My experience, it didn't work for me. It may work for you. Maybe you're doing something different, but it just didn't work for me, so I moved on. So the latest edition, but, but wait on, on the on the USDX. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not the only one who's who's talking about this. Ryan Flowers, who's got the uh, Miss.Geek uh, website, he too came out and had expressed misgivings about the whole thing. You know, it, it's sad because there was so there was so much excitement about it, and it, this is like the second version, the second time we've gone through this. I remember a year or so ago there was a similar effort, and it kind of didn't didn't work out yeah and then now they've they've tried it again with a lot of really great people involved um but ryan was saying that his comments were very similar to what you just said he in 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 on his uh on his web on his website he commented about the shortcomings of the whole project he also talked about how in sort of remaking the qcx they had gotten so far away from the qcx that it really wasn't the qcx anymore and he talked about the, the processor just being overpowered. He said he was like putting a, a small Volkswagen engine in a Lamborghini. And, yeah. And it just wasn't up to it. So I thought that was, that was really interesting. Yeah. The, uh, the, there's another interesting piece to this. The, the guys who are doing a lot of the development actually took a QCX board, a Hans board, and modified it. Mm -hmm. The stuff that's being used are new boards manufactured in China. So there may be a potential that using a different board, maybe because of the architecture of the board, maybe because of the way things are laid out, even though it's it's you know electrically the circuit's the same, you you might be getting feedback and all kinds of other things just because of the way things are placed. So those who say they're doing amazing with it are using an original QCX board. That might be a clue. Yeah. That 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 the original board might be better or Yes. Yes. So that that the the, the new boards from China might might have some sort of problems. Yeah. Problems. You know. Wow. It, it can be. I mean, that's the when, when so now even 
the, one of the developers put a YouTube video out and said, listen to this. And I listened to it and I said, that's crap. <laughs> you know, the receive signal was, it overloads real easy. It just, I mean, it's a great concept. Slightly different processor will probably make that thing work. Someone needs to look at that. But, you know, they got down this path and they're not about to change. Well, you know what, This, this I'll mention this when I get to, to my bench. But you mentioned, like, bad signals that are on the air. And I've become more aware of this in the last month or so because I've been working on this old Lafayette receiver I have here. Uh, a Lafayette who? A Lafayette who? Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> or the Lafayette. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> laughing at. Yeah. I've heard these jokes, yeah. But I've been working on it. I've been trying to make it sound good with a single sideband signal. Of course, it sounds great with an AM broadcast shortwave signal. SSB signals, I'm really kind of surprised. Now, there were some, some defects. The thing is 48 years old or 50 years old. So, you know, there's, there's bound to be some problems in there, and I've been, I've been overcoming them. But it's hard to, to tell sometimes whether the problem is in the receiver that you're working on or the transmitter at the other end. Yes. Because... And I notice it because sometimes I'll 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 be at one end of forty meters, and I'll be I'll have tuned in a guy, and and the audio coming out of my receiver just sounds great. And then I'll just turn the dial, go up go up the band a little bit. I'll tune in another single sideband signal, having touched nothing on on the receiver, and it just sounds awful. It's distorted. It's overdriven. It's it's just it's hard to hard to even understand what the guy's saying, and you realize that this is somebody who's there's a problem transmitting. I must say I'm biased in this, so I have to be be careful here. But it seems like a lot of the bad signals are coming out of the SDR rigs. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm I'm not sure whether the guys who are running these things really know what they're doing. There's so much fooling around with the menus and the adjustments and everything else sometimes they may be doing more harm than good because some of the some of the really nice signals that i hear don't seem like they're the result of a whole lot of kind of fussing around anyway hmm so micro sdx yeah okay so i have moved on to the hermes light i saw this very interesting okay hermes light um the, the, the QUISC software, SDR software, um, is set up so that you can use it with a, a variety of rigs. Um, I, I've been using it mostly with what, what, what are generically called the softrock type rigs, where you're controlling an SI570 to change the frequency and what have you. But there's a whole menu of other rigs. As a matter of fact, at one time, you could even interface uh, the QUISC software to, to the... Elecraft KX3 so that you can control the KX3 you know have a panoramic display and all the waterfalls and everything but the Hermes light the Hermes originally was an SDR transceiver and it goes back eight nine years and uh, it was kind of spendy and kind of expensive lots of boards involved it came out of Europe and uh, so there's a guy here in the United States that uh, <clears throat> works on his day job is he works with modems high-speed modems and he looked at the these modems and said why can't I turn that into an SDR transceiver and he did 
Wow, there was there was an article on on Hackaday about somebody trying to do this specifically with the modem chips. So that's, yeah. I remember I, I saw that around yeah, the time. Yeah, that, that, that was not the same guy, but the same same idea. Right. So it's it's a direct up down conversion, direct up down conversion, and um, the modem chip in in this board is good to about eighty megahertz. So the Nyquist Nyquist theorem says you get about half that frequency. So essentially you can do all the way through 10 meters. Uh, if you're going to do higher frequency, you're going to need a converter on it, but all the way through 10 meters, and uh, it works. Now, with is, I'm sorry, is it, is it direct digital? digital yes. Eight, uh, yeah, yes. Direct to digital. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Okay. So uh, with the Quist software, it just makes, they've, they've modified the Quist software, so it just talks to this thing. You plug it in and say, I want the Hermes, and, and you get all the, the advantages. You get the waterfall display, uh, all the frequencies, um, all the modes of operation. So it's really, really nice. Uh, I, I just got a breaking news on my screen here. Sean Connery just passed away. I don't know if you got that on your computer. Ah, sad no. to hear that. He was my man. Anyway, um, it, it, it is very sophisticated, and you... You have to do a little fiddling to make it work because it doesn't. It, you can connect it directly to a computer, but they uh, they recommend connecting it through a router because that's how modems usually connect is through a router. And so you can get a one gigabit uh, link between your router and your your uh, device. And the computer. Now, I, I used a, uh, a network switch, which lets me connect at one gigabyte. And uh, it it really works well. I mean, they talk to each other. And then I discovered something um, <clears throat> interesting is that I've never used this before. It took me about five days. But to make it play with Whisper and FT8, uh, you you have to work with the Hamlib, which is the, the rig control software. Mm -hmm. And getting that to play was a little complex for me because I, I've I've used WSJTX but never with the ham ham lib. Once you get it working, you can see how slick this is. Like you can go in the menu and say, I want to do 15 meter whisper. And you just click on it and all of a sudden the rig changes frequency <laughs> and you're all set up to go. I mean, you don't have to push any other buttons or if you say i don't want to switch between whisper and ft8 uh you don't have to change the, the mode the, the the rig follows you so this hamlib is very very nice and uh wsjtx uh, of course has all kind of specific models in it whereas the hamlib doesn't care what model is is on there as long as you're connected to quisk and the two are talking it'll follow so uh i've been having some fun with uh FT8. I made a couple FT8 contacts yesterday, and uh, right now at this very minute, it's running Whisper. So I'm going to see where where all I heard and who heard me. But uh, now it cost about 300 bucks, so this is not cheap. But I decided I was going to make this investment because I, I wanted to have a, kind of a professional grade SDR without spending three thousand or four thousand dollars. So. Uh, it comes as a semi-kit. The board is all built in China. Uh, the board shows up. The only thing you got to do is install it in a case. 
and uh, essentially uh, make the interface connection so there's not a lot of effort to get this thing going. Now there's not a lot of people that are uh, using this rig. Uh, right now it's probably in the five, six hundred, but I'm sure as as time goes on this, this is going to open the door and there's uh, quite a interesting user group. Now I, I experienced something yesterday which left me a little bummed out. And and I want to share this with the podcast listeners because we should never get to the point. It would it'd be easy for me to fall in this trap and I try hard not to do that. So I was so excited after five days of fiddling trying to get WSJTX to work with it that I got it working that I posted on Reflector. And I said, oh man, I, I finally got Hamlib talking to the rig. So I said, I'm so excited. I'm, I, I even posted a picture of the FTA contact. And I said, yeah, this thing, now that I figured out what I needed to do, it really works and it works well. So I get one of the Illuminati on that reflector, writes me back and said, that's not right. The Hamlib software does not talk to your rig. It talks to Quisk. So the two programs talk to each other and then it's Quisk that's controlling your rig, not Hamlib. So... Oh, 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 okay, <laughs> you know, uh, thank you. <laughs> well, it would be real easy for me, you know, I, I get a lot of emails about projects I've built and people ask inquiries, I could say, you know, you've got to do this. Uh, you know, it would have been really nice to say, hey, Pete, just, you know, you're new to this. So just for your information, this is how it works. It's it's really the Hamlib is talking to Quiz, not the radio. It's Quisk that's controlling the radio. I mean, maybe it's just terminology I used, but it, it'd be nice to know. But I sure got put off by that. So well, there's uh, a lot of that. There's a lot of that kind of sharpshooting. That kind of, you know, I spotted a mistake that you made. And I, th- I have to say, I think it's particularly common in in the computer world because there's this business of treating. They even have a word for it: noobs. Noobs. Right, if you're new to some piece of software or something else, they call you a noob. You know, we don't, we've never done that in in ham radio. We call people novices because they're new, and we're we're helping them. The idea is that you have to be an Elmer and help them along. And I guess it's a cultural difference. And when you start getting into the software area, you're bumping up against people who are in kind of the computer world, more more brutal tradition and so yeah i know what you mean it occasionally does bleed over and and occasionally i'll get comments on something on a blog post or something you know realize i'm writing the blog post in about two or three minutes in the morning as i'm sipping my first cup of coffee so i'm not scrutinizing every word and then somebody come in and say well you got this little bit wrong ha 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 come on yeah (laughs) it's a hobby well well, (laughs) you you know i I stand corrected but it was just the approach and uh it came from a european ham so i know why (laughs) you know i i I got it i got it but well sometimes there sometimes there's a language thing too sometimes people in a second language can be harsher than they intend to be be- only be only because they're, they're they're operating with more limited vocabulary and they don't they often don't realize that they're coming down kind of heavy so that that hopefully that might might be a factor there. i doubt it 
I, 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 I've been there and done that. I mean, I, I, in, in, in some of the foreign languages that I've worked in, sometimes I've caused, I've stepped on somebody's toes when I just didn't mean to. Yeah. Only because I didn't have, I didn't, my vocabulary wasn't big enough to be nicer. Yeah. So I, I have some things that I've already posted on, on, on the blog. And by the way, I'm not on the blog, but on the reflector, I'm, I'm probably not going to post anything more on that. Um, uh, you know, you, you, I have a place where it is. If you use the, my n6qw.com website slash capital H capital L two dot HTML, that's where the repository. The first thing I designed was a linear amplifier turner on her. <laughs> I, I usually I usually use a, a twelve volt double pole double throw switch yeah, relay. Yeah. Well, the thing is, here here's something that people don't think of. Okay. The the HL two does have a, a RCA jack on the back so that you can control a linear amplifier, and it's an open drain FET. And, and they tell you, don't put any more than 28 volts DC on that drain. Well, if you just plug that in without looking into an SB200 that's not been modified, it's got a minus 120 volts on that pin. Guess what happens when you put a minus 120 volts on that Smoke pin? Smoke is released. Smoke is released. So I came up with a, a what it, actually I designed this for something else and I just modified it. It's got an opto-isolator. So that the cool. the opto oscillator is triggered off the back panel, and then that controls the relay, so that you can, as long as the relay contacts can switch 120 volts, uh, you're you're good. So you have physical isolation, and that's posted there. And the next thing is, I drug out an article that I co-wrote for uh, QRP Quarterly on a keyboard CW sender, so that. Yeah, I was listening to a guy sending CW the other day. I, I couldn't distinguish the letters, Bill. They, they were run together. It was just awful. And mm. it was just terrible. So the the C, uh, the C keyboard sender was an article written in, uh, it uses an Arduino Uno R3. So you can sit there and plug it into the key jack and just type away. And it's even got canned messages. So you can punch a key and it'll send CQ with your call sign. So the, there you go. Lazy man CW. But... A lot of people are using the Hermes light for uh, FT8 or uh, W or Whisper or CW operation, not so much sideband. So if you want to do that, you'll I'm publishing information on that. And there's some other. I also have in work a 45 watt, uh, $15 Chinese RF amplifier. So that's going to be interfaced to that. So this way you'll have a 45 watt transceiver sideband which is a reasonable amount of power forget the five watts you, you just but i do want to comment uh, something that we talked about last october 17 meters has been open it's october. i heard it's october 17 I, meters I, is open i got an email <clears throat> from you saying mention in this and i immediately fired up my bidx 17 and it was getting kind of late in the day, so I might have missed the opening. It was the day after the big opening you were talking about. But I did hear one station, Delta Foxtrot 2 Blue Ocean. Yeah, BF2, Blue Ocean. BO. Yeah, big guy. Yeah, and he was coming in nice. And it was it just it, it just kind of made me feel good to listen, even just to listen to somebody on, on 17. So, yes, indeed. Good news. Yeah. Hey, Pete, where who makes Hermes? Where is it at? What, where, what country? China. China. Is that a China? Okay. Yeah. 
And and have you had it on the air? Have you have oh, you made yeah. any SSB contacts? Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Probably about. Well, I've I've probably had about four dozen. And mostly, mostly, mostly. What bands you've been on? Uh, twenty and forty, sixty. Wow, wow. And have you been on any of the digital modes? Have you been yes. using it with the digital FTA, which modes? FTA. FTA. Yeah. Oh wow, very good. Really, really cool. I saw. I I was looking at the pictures of when you put it in the box. Yeah. I like that part. <laughs> I like it all, but I mean, I like I like that kind of that mechanical kind of. You got that that nice metal case. And you slide it in there. It looks good. Yeah. Cool. Man. Pete, advanced stuff. I, I, meanwhile, I am toiling away in the Stone Age, relatively speaking here. Um, should we move on to my bench? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, first, I guess we've got to do the... Um, the uh, what shameless is it? The, Commerce. Uh, shameless Commerce Division, indeed. Um, you guys can t- continue to support the Solder Smoke podcast by going to the Amazon link up in the upper right-hand corner of our page. Buy something big and expensive. Buy something for Pete. Send it to Pete. Okay. Um, anyway, um, I- I'll tell you a little bit about about what I got going on, on the bench here, Pete. Uh, it's test gear a go-go for me. I've been in, I've been doing test gear stuff, and this started around the time of the last the last podcast and what we were doing was just trying to kind of get my my test gear in shape i i try to take a pause between um projects between radio projects and then say okay look i'm going to take a break and i'm going to work on work on the test gear a bit and so the first the first thing i was taking on was the hp 8640b signal generator Wow, this was this was kind of a fun project. It was it was scary, but what a magnificent piece of gear! And with the help of of some radio amateurs around the world, they predicted that the problem would be one of these little tines. I didn't even know what a tine is. It's like a fork. I had to look it up. A tine is like a little fork, but this thing is so it's a tiny tine, really tiny. And the guy told me it probably fell off the switch. So when you open it up, look around in the box and see if you could find the tine. And I said, ah, never going to happen. I turned the thing over and there it was. I found the tine. Boy, are you lucky. Oh, man. And I, I, I saved the thing. And then I said, okay, now i got to disassemble the kind of the, the main oscillator assembly there in this thing. And uh, that was quite the job. I have a picture of the disassembly. It looks like it looks like something out of a out of the technical manual for a nuclear submarine. You know, like there's, there's like three hundred and fifty parts in the exploded view, and you think, oh, I've got to take it all apart, and then I got to get it all back together with no extra parts floating around afterwards. You have to use the right kind of glue because you know you put this tine back in there, and you just can't you know give it you know a dab of Elmer's glue or something because that you don't want to have to do this again. So I got some JB Weld dual epoxy. So I, I first put it in there with just regular old Gorilla Glue, super glue. Let it set for 24 hours. Then I put a layer of JB Weld dual epoxy over the top. Let that set for 24 hours. Let it cure. And then I put the whole thing together. It was very satisfying. It, it went right right to work. I, I, can, I continue to work on the 8640B because it's an amazing piece of test gear and an interesting piece of technology. I got 
the gears, you know, because one of the things that goes wrong on these things is that they had plastic gears when they built this stuff. It was all designed in the early 1970s. I don't think anybody intended it to, to last this long. Pla- planned obsolescence. Right. And, one of the, and one of the weak points in there was are these plastic gears. And there are two or three gears that are especially prone to breakage. There's a guy in India who has made the brass replacement gears for this. And I, I was right in the throes of fixing my 8640, and I said, I want those brass gears. So I sent them the 50 bucks, and sure enough, the, the package from, from, from India arrived, and they're beautiful. They're sitting there. So that'll be my next project. Next time I open it up, I'll, I'll replace the brass gears. My gears, the gears I have in mind, are cracked, but they're, they're cracked <clears throat> in such a way as that they continue to, to operate. Over, over time, they'll probably need replacement at, at a critical to... time <laughs> that's right when I'm right right in the, when i need the signal generator yeah, the most yeah. it'll crap out yeah, on me that's what but I, I will have the gears and they'll, they'll be ready to go anyway that was a lot of fun i you know I, I i've also been as part of this tech this test gear and workbench refurbishment i i just realized that you know when we came back from europe 10 years ago it was still a busy time i mean i had i had teenage kids i was working I, I threw together the ham shack as best I could when I came back. And one of the things I did was a lot of the, the equipment that I had picked up while in Europe was 220 for 220 volts. And all I did is I installed under the bench a big, you know, 110 to 220 transformer and ran everything off that, which is not really the optimal way to go long term. So I started looking at all the gear that I had on 220. One was a a, a power supply that I picked up at the Kempton Rally outside London. I opened that up, and sure enough, the transformer in there has connections where you could just connect, you could just change it from 220 to 110. Boom, that power supply was changed. I had this um, a, a Global Specialties Corporation 6000 frequency counter that I picked up. This is the one where, I, I, where Tony Fishpool had sent me a replacement chip and then I had very carefully soldered it in upside down on both sides of the board. People love it when I tell this story. Then I had to take it out and put it back in without damaging the chip or the board. I did that. But that thing was only half working because there there's two inputs. One goes up to 100 megahertz. The other one goes up to 600 megahertz. And so the 600 megahertz one was never working, but I decided let's get it working completely. So one of the divide by 10 counters in there had gone bad. I was able to troubleshoot it pretty easily, but I found out that was the bad chip. And then I went to eBay looking for this Plessy. It was a Plessy chip. Oh, Plessy, yeah, yeah. Plessy divide by 10. And sure enough, eBay, there was a guy somewhere in the world who had one of these. And for like 10 bucks, he sent it to me. It arrives in a little envelope. You know, you order this stuff from far away on, on, on eBay. I'm sure you've had the experience. And then you forget about it, right? Because then you move on and do other stuff. All of a sudden, this weird envelope from China or India or Belgium or Rio de Janeiro arrives. And you think, what the heck is this? And you open it up and say, oh, the Plessy chip. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I popped the Plessy chip in there, being extremely careful not to solder it in upside down. You know the little U on the chip? You know the little U? All right, before I took the old one out, I, I took my, my Sharpie and drew a U 
<laughs> right where the where the new you is supposed to go. I took out the old one. I put it in. I said, do I have the U in the right place? Yes, solder, solder, solder. Like what, 16 pins or something like that? And that thing is is working. So now I can count frequency, Pete, up above 600 megahertz. Ooh, nice. I'm feeling a VHF, UHF sensation. Anyway, uh, so I, I, I fixed that. Oh, and then uh, I, I also wanted to change the uh, the power supply on that thing because it, it was also 220. In the junk box, I found a 110 to 18 volt transformer of just the right physical size. I popped that baby in there. That thing is now purring away at, at 117 volts. Did, did that stuff with 220 have a funny pin connector on it? D- different type of plug? I mean, the plug the plug was different. Yeah. yeah. So I had to change. That's one, one thing that you have, have to change if you keep the same voltage they used like a pin well no this was just a it was it was a it was a uk plug which uk 220 plug which is just three prongs but completely different they, they won't go in mm. so i just took it out and put in a a three prong uh standard you know 110 mm. line in there to, to to get it grounded one thing i really like about this counter is it's got an oven in it Ooh. for the crystal oscillator because there's a crystal oscillator in there running at 3.579 megahertz. Color burst liberation yeah, army, my go. friends. But there's this little box. And when I first looked at it, I said, what the heck is that? And it's, it's an oven. It's an oven that keeps this thing at constant temperature. Now, the way they've got this thing set up is that if that counter is plugged in, even if the front panel on-off switch oh, the is oven's off, on. oh. the, oven's, the oven and the oscillator stays on. So sometimes I'll be working on something and I'll notice this really strong signal at 3.579 megahertz in the shack. <laughs> what the heck is that? And then I'll remember, oh yeah, I got the, the counter plugged in, the oven's on and so is the oscillator. Kind of cool. I, I, I kind of like that. But um, now my my big project that i've been working on a lot i mentioned this earlier is the lafayette ha 600a with jeweled movement with jeweled movements thank you for adding that wjm steve n8nm also pointed that out now people are wondering what the hell is bill and pete talking about with jeweled movements okay here's the story this was my very first real shortwave receiver christmas 1972 I figured it out. That's when I got this thing. I had just recently sort of been bitten by the ham radio bug because my father and I used to listen to Gene Shepard on WOR in New York, and I needed a shortwave receiver. So I just, I, I kind of memorized the Lafayette Radio Electronics catalog, and I told my mother that that's the one I wanted for Christmas. So Christmas 1972, she drove all the way down to Paramus, New Jersey to get this thing for me, and Man, I, I thought this was the greatest thing ever. I I put in the book, the Sarge book book, that I lived in fear that somehow dust would get inside and it would mess up the jeweled movements. As far as I know, the jeweled movements refers to the to the S meter. <laughs> That's it. Um, I also in in the in the instruction book for it, I noticed they they talked about the danger from lightning. Now, I got this thing for Christmas. How much lightning is there 
in suburban New York in December and January. Extremely little, none. But I lived in fear. I, I wouldn't hook up the antenna without getting a, a, a lightning suppressor, not knowing that that wouldn't do any good either. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I had fond memories of this receiver. A while back, I picked up an HA600 without the A, thinking that it would be just like the receiver of my youth. No, it didn't measure up. That thing wasn't really that good. They, they made modifications to the front end in the A model. That's what I had, the A model. So anyway, about a month ago, I'm sitting here in the shack. I'm looking at, at Facebook, and I see this announcement. Guy says, I have a Lafayette HA600A. Here's the picture. It's indeed an A model. He says, I want to give it away. I have no use for it. It's free to anyone who can come and pick it up at my house in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Oh, my God. <laughs> down the road. Wait, not only down the road, but I had just agreed several days earlier to drive all the way, th all the way through the Shenandoah Valley from the northern part to the southern part. Because that's the Highway 81 takes us out to where Maria goes to college. We're going out to visit Maria three days in the future. I see this ad. Pete, the radio gods have spoken. T-R-G-H-S. That radio was mine. I sent an email and said, look, that was my radio. I had liked it as a kid. I promise you I'll get it working. Uh, I'm driving right past your house in three days. Please give it to me. So Joe out there in... in um, um, Newmarket, Virginia, agreed, drove past on the way out to see Maria. He came out in the front yard, handed off the radio. Man, took that thing home. You know, I've been, I've been working on this thing ever since. And it's been a real interesting process. It's a very simple radio. So you'd think that this thing would be really easy to get going well. It's a single conversion super hat with a 455 KCIF. It claims to have mechanical filters in it, but they're not really mechanical filters the way we understand the term. It, it, these are ceramic crystal filters, ceramic filters. Um, but it's still fairly selective. Um, it, it's not quite single signal. You can hear a little bit of the opposite sideband, but it's greatly suppressed. So it's pretty good. It sounds great on AM, but like I said in the beginning, it sounded terrible on sideband, just really kind of distorted. So one of the things I, I kind of one of the techniques that I picked up when I was working on the on the HP 8640B is I guess what you'd call front panel troubleshooting. Don't just start diving in there, you know, changing parts and testing random and willy nilly. There's a lot you can learn about what's going on without ever opening up the box just by observing what's happening as you move to different bands, to different modes. Because as you move that function switch, you're turning on and turning off various parts, even of a simple receiver like this one. So everything sounds really great on AM. So this makes me think, okay, things are, are pretty good at the front end. Things are pretty good at the first mixer. Things are probably pretty good through the, through the IF chain. And things are good in the audio amplifiers, right? When I switch over to sideband, not so much. Sounds terrible. So what stages are, am I using when I switch over to sideband that I'm not using in AM? 
Well, obviously, the, the beat frequency oscillator and the product detector are the ones that come to mind. BFO checks out fine, so I start to focus my attention on the product detector. And this is where it gets really interesting because I start thinking, what's wrong with this thing? And I did a whole bunch of tests and, and everything else. Steve, our friend, N8NMN, NM, got involved. And around the same time I was doing it, he decided to build the, ba the balance modulator in LT Spice, our old friend LT Spice. If you've got a circuit and you're thinking, what's the problem? Is there some defect in the circuit? Or is it a, a design defect? Is, it, this is, is this something that never worked right? Or is it working bad because it's 48 years old and something's gone wrong in it? So Steve built it in LT Spice, and, it's, and he said, wow, it works fine for me in LT Spice. He went the extra mile, and he built it physically on a piece of PC board. And he noticed that both in LT Spice and in the real world, the thing was functioning well as a product detector signal in 455 kc bfo in audio out it's working fine you you told me too you looked at it and you said it looks good it looks like it, it's a simple product detector but it should work and well then I, I went ahead and did it myself i built my version in lt spice confirmed what what steve had said then i built a, a physical version of it over there too it's been it's been really fun working on this thing. I've been learning a lot, even from a simple receiver like this. And you know, I, I've also been able to bring in some some new tools. So I was wondering, what does the, the IF passband on this thing really look like? You know, because it's got mechanical ceramic filters in there. It's also got some of the IF stages with a couple of ceramic resonators in the emitter circuits. It's also got 455KC IF cans. It's also got something that I haven't dealt with before, and that's a lot of AGC. It's got two different AGC systems. It's got an audio-derived AGC system that, that hits the IF, and then it's got an IF-derived AGC system that goes back to the front end at RF. Um, so all these different things. But one of the things I wanted to know was, okay, I've peaked it up at 455 KCs, but what does the passband really look like on this thing? Nano NVA to the rescue. I just took the, uh, the sweep feature of the Nano NVA and put the output from channel zero, what they call in the Nano, Nano NVA, and put it into the beginning of the IF chain. And then took the output right before, right out of the last IF can. And then I just scanned it just so that I could get an idea of what the passband looked like. So that was, that was really useful information. That helped me to figure out where I should put the BFO to receive lower sideband signals, et cetera, et cetera. So, and what I did, I, I do think that there were problems in the, the product detector on the board. So I built a little kind of little daughter board, just about, I guess, about the size of your finger with a new product detector, the same circuit that Steve and I built, but using a 2N3904 transistor. And I just, I just super glued it onto the chassis and then ran shielded coax to the different places on the board one for the bfo signal one for the 455 kcif signal and one taking the audio out and sending it to the af amplifiers and i put that in there it sounds much better and 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 so i may go back and just just replace the parts and use the space on the original board to get it going or i might just leave it this way 
it's kind of cool because it, it adds an element of home brewing to what was otherwise a, a commercial receiver. One thing I noticed that's really weird about this is even if the, this product this detector circuit is powered down, it still serves as a product detector. It doesn't sound great. You could take the VCC, you could take the 12 volts off of that circuit. But as you pointed out, there are diodes in that transistor, and that's where, where the mixing is taking place. Yeah. So it sounds sort of muddled, kind of garbled, and it accounts for a lot of the, the bad sound that I had heard before. But it's been fun. You know, I, I want to tell you, there's, a, there's an SDR connection here too, Pete. Because when I've been trying to compare what I'm hearing from the Lafayette to what the signal really sounds like, Mehmet, NA5B, has a, a web SDR receiver about eight miles oh, east of me. Yeah, there right? you go. So what I do is if I'm listening to somebody and he sounds pretty bad on my Lafayette, I don't know whether it's the Lafayette or is it a bad signal from him? So I just go to NA5B, boom, I listen to the signal. and Now, there's a little bit of latency there, but I can listen to the two and switch back and forth. And on several occasions, I've been able to confirm that it's the problem is at the other end. <laughs> so anyway, this has all been, been a real uh, adventure. You know, when, when we were working on uh, LT Spice, I mean, Steve built it in LT Spice, and then he just attached his LT Spice file to an email, sent it to me, and says, here, look, I built it. Here's, here it is. And I was able to take a look right away and see how he had built it, what he had done, you know, what, what results he was getting. And so that, that was a lot of fun. So I, I, I've really been enjoying working on the Lafayette HA600. I, I was going to ask, what is wrong with the original circuit? There's... I, I haven't really, I haven't pulled everything out. What I suspect is the transistor might have gone bad. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> I might have there a bad tra- I might have a bad transistor in there, yeah. right? But the the other thing that's really weird about this is that it doesn't look like anybody that like that the 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 Japanese engineers and and builders ever ran a VCC line up to this stage. There's a point on the board where 12 volts is supposed to come in that supplies the collector and the and the base um, bias, the bias yeah. right all the resistors are there but there and there's a, you could see where there there was a spot where wire was supposed to be connected and it was supposed to run down to the to the function switch so that when you turn to the ssb position it switched to the product detector and then it turned on the bfo um it turned on the bfo okay but there was no power going to the product detector stage. Now, it doesn't look like somebody went in there and modified it because I can't see any evidence of it was somebody never flipping something out. It was never installed. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's a couple of things could have happened. People might have just missed it because the thing worked anyway. So when, when it went to kind of quality control, they turned it on, turned it over to sideband, and they were able to, they were able to, to, to demodulate and hear sideband signals not realizing that they didn't sound as good as they should. It it sounds a lot better when you put 12 volts on it. Uh, but this is also kind of a, a reminder that the schematics are not always right that and uh. that there are mis- mistakes in manufacturing. And so you just can't go in there and say, oh, well, this thing, it should be working. I mean, I, I foolishly assumed that, that, that power was getting to this stage. It was only when I later on just decided to check the voltages 
on the collector, the bass, and the emitter, <laughs> there was none. Zero. Yeah. Ungats, nothing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I, when you told me that story, I was thinking about a, a good friend of mine I went to college with. He was a ham, and he was telling me that during World War II, his dad had two jobs. He was a school teacher, but he also worked for the Signal Corps on the second shift. And he worked, because he had an electronics background, he worked in uh, uh, radio repair. And he said his dad would get these radios from overseas, you know, the subjected to mold and all kind of stuff like that. So his dad had a standard test. He'd take the radio, move it to the end of the bench, and let it drop to the floor, and plugged it in. If it worked, <laughs> good to go. <laughs> good to go. <laughs> good to go. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is the kind of thing I would, I would like to explore it a little bit, but there are so few, there were so few HA600s, there are even fewer now. If you go to the internet and and go to like YouTube, you'll find videos of guys who were working on the Lafayette HA six hundred A, but they're mostly like from like two thousand two thousand ten. Yeah, uh, it's it's been a while, <clears throat> so uh, I may be the only one messing around with one of these things. It's kind of a it's kind of a nice receiver. It's a, almost like a solid state version of an HQ one hundred. Oh, just simple four fifty five KC. RF amplifier, mixer, IF chain, product detector, AFM, boom. Nothing nothing too fancy. But but we're we're getting there, Pete. And uh I, I have enjoyed working on this thing. You, you it's I, I think it's a sign of having do, doing this for a while where if you don't get to work right, you don't get terribly frustrated. You just think, Okay, well I'll work on it again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't pull your hair out about yeah. this stuff. Right. Pete, it's time for Pete, Sour Smoke Mailbag. Well, well, before you move on, I wanted to add an add-on for the Shameless Commerce Division. Oh, I want to tell oh. you about a find, and I want everyone, when they finish this podcast, to go to the Solder Smoke blog, upper right-hand corner, click on Amazon, and buy one of these, because this is the world's greatest bargain. For 40 bucks, 40 bucks, you can buy... An Atomic Pie Developers Kit. And what this is, is a single board computer. Single board computer. And it's bigger than a Raspberry Pi, but it's got an Intel processor in it at 1.4 gigahertz. And it's got, a, uh, it's got a docking station that allows you to do all kind of development stuff. For 40 bucks, you get the Atomic Pie. You get it loaded with the Ubuntu software. You get the power supply, and uh, for it only costs about another um, oh seven or eight dollars to get the antennas for a dual Wi-Fi. So if you have two two-speed Wi-Fi, you can plug either one in. Bill, I'm amazed at this. This thing really, really works well for forty bucks. Now I found out the story about this. These were originally designed as an embed as a piece of electronic equipment. So a pretty sophisticated processor. It does has an Intel Atom processor in there, not not the ARM type. And it's got a tremendous amount of capability. It's got 16 uh, gigabytes of onboard storage. So you can, the software's loaded there, whatever else that you want to add, or you can put external media on it. $40, really, really works well. And it costs a few bucks to ship it to your house. The Atomic Pie. Now, there's a limited number of these because uh, this company bought 
bought this stock. Uh, as I said, they were originally intended as an embed in a piece of equipment. And uh, that company never went on with the product line, so they must have got them for pennies on the dollar. The Atomic Pie Developer's Kit, Solder Smoke Blog, Give yourself a Christmas present, 40 bucks. You're, you're in tall clover. It's got an HDMI on it. It's got a lot of ports. It's got a built-in 1.5-watt stereo amplifier. So it's got the ports right there. You can just hook up the speakers. I mean, you can turn this into a music machine for, for Pete, 40 bucks. Pete, you're, you're convincing even me. <clears throat> 40 bucks. I mean, 40 bucks. Be there or be square. It's got, I mean, the only thing you need on the power supply, it's got a barrel connector, so you just need to get one of those adapters you can plug in the barrel connector. But they've got terminal blocks all around the outside of the developer's kit so that you can interface in the stuff. They even got a space on the bottom that you can solder in an Arduino Nano so that you can talk to the Arduino Nano. The Atomic Pie developer's kit. Solder smoke blog, upper right hand corner, click on there, 40 bucks, put one at your door. Cha-ching, cha-ching from yeah. Bezos. Yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you for that, Pete. Great ideas. All right, now it's time to move on to solder smoke mailbag. Yes. We got we got a lot of good mail this this month. Um, and this is just a small sample of it. We, we're not able to get everything in here, so <clears> forgive <throat> me if I, if I missed your, your email. I try to respond to all of them. Occasionally we miss them, but... Um, Anyway, uh, Peter, VK2EMU, who has sent so much good stuff. He's the guy who did the call signs that, that, that adorn our shack. I have, I have one of his, his Morse code keys here. A very creative guy. Pete, I think this may have been sp sparked by your mention of uh, an old handbook going for 800 bucks. <laughs> yes, 55. Peter sent me the 1947 handbook. Oh, my God. Oh, Wow! How much is it worth? Tell me, it's worth. Like, I don't know, like but twelve grand. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, you well, thank, he thank. he did he sent it to you. Oh, that's amazing. I got it. Oh, I got cool! It. It's very cool. Thank you very much, Peter. I'm, do do I'm you little, find you know, it's chock full of projects that you can actually build? You know, transmitters, receivers. And yeah, it's pushing equipment. me pushing me further back in time. I mean, I'm 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 going backwards now. So I had been kind of in the fifties and sixties. Now I sound find myself in the 1940s. Steel sure chassis, Greenlee chassis punch, oh, and, and advertisements for Greenlee chassis punches. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I want to punch some chassis. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, this just yesterday, I got an email from Brad W1BCC, who has sent us much great stuff over the years. We had been talking about Pete, your favorite shortwave receiver. <laughs> <clears throat> that's not coronavirus that's <laughs> <laughs> just a, re a, a visceral reaction <laughs> yes. to, to, the, to the suggestion that we're going to talk about s38s <gasps> we are and somebody had found like a wall of s38s a while back 29 yeah this one now um brad it's also in the boston area i don't know what's going on with s38s up there but brad spotted 10 10 s38s available you could buy the whole lot for 80 bucks bill eight bucks per s38 bill you need to buy <laughs> you need to buy that that's your retirement fund these look like the good ones too these are like with the half moon shaped dials Ooh, two of them the c c model is that the i think it might b, be the c model b? but it looks looks really good anyway uh i will try to get uh, the this this posting up on uh, on the on the blog 
and I, I think we'll, 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 we'll see what we can do with this. But thank you very much, Brad, for alerting us to this tremendous S-38 opportunity. I think we should send a couple to, out to, to, uh, to Pete out there just to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't. <laughs> it, it, it'll look so nice sitting right next to the Hermes. <laughs> you don't. Hey, hey, speaking of Boston, how, how's Bill doing? How's your son Bill doing up there? He's doing very well in Boston. It's start. It's starting to get cold. He told us yesterday it was snowing. Uh, well, maybe he can. Come, maybe he can pick him up for you. Save delivery. That's right. Just bring him back. Yeah, yeah. Just keep him in his apartment. Yeah. It'll, it'll be great. <laughs> Turn them all on and it'll be space eater. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Turn them all on. You can and you can listen to you know the voice of Radio Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh man, Pete, you and I both got care packages from dale k9nn oh Oh, man good stuff dual gate mosfets but bag of them a A bag bag of them them. we we could build doug demore projects from now till the end of time by the way they work i i just pulled the two 40673s out and and the uh, transceiver i built plugged them right in Good to go. So any, anywhere Doug Dumas has recommended a 40673. Were, yes. These these dual gate MOSFETs that, that Dale sent us. He sent us a lot of other cool parts too, but that's what really caught my attention, those dual gate MOSFETs. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dale. Now here's another another gift from afar. Stuart, ZL2 T Tango Whiskey, ZL2, ZL, ZL2TW. He sent me Les Moxon's um, antenna book. Les Moxon, the inventor of the Moxon antenna, wrote this really cool antenna book. And uh, Stuart down there in New Zealand had a copy and he sent it to me. He sent it to me and it arrived right around the time 17 meters was starting to reopen. You see what I'm saying? Remember, my Moxon antenna was taken down by a nor'easter about two years ago. I didn't put it back up because the sunspots were kaput, right? Now, again, there are no coincidences here. The forces, Pete's, Pete's making the forces are joining <coughs> yes. signal with his fingers. They are. The radio gods have spoken. I must put up a moxon. Yes. I must. My only problem is it's hard to make a moxon for 17 and 20. They're too close. Yes. Pick one. But 17 and maybe 17 and 12? Maybe. 17 and 10? That'd be good. I, I, I understand nobody's using 12 meters. Uh, they they are in digital. Uh, you can hear the FT8. 17 yeah, that's and 10. What, that's about the only signals 10. you see on, on 12 meters is digital. That's that's disappointing because that has, band has great potential, you know? Except it, uh, Except Nigel. There in the UK, who's built a Paisano? Yeah, he 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 built one for twelve meters, and he's working all kind of DX. Of course, it, that's kind of easy in Europe. DX is like hundred miles away. Yeah. <laughs> <Everybody's Yeah. DX. laughs> all right, let's see. So uh, Alvin, oh, here this this was a nice story. Uh, November five, Victor Zulu Hotel, Alvin. He he sent me this um, email a while back, and he was trying to get. He built a receive converter, uh, an NE602-based receive converter, so that he could listen to shortwave stations. And it was real simple. It was the NE602 power supply, input circuit, output circuit, crystal, boom. It should work, right? He, and he had trouble with it. 
And it's one of these things, and you do this a lot more than I do because you've got much more tribal wisdom. But I took a look at his schematic, and at the input circuit, they had a, a 10.5 megahertz IF filter, or transformer, 10.5, was it 10.5 or 10.6? A 10 megahertz, 10.7 megahertz uh, transformer in there. And I said, wait a second. They don't want you don't want that thing operating at that frequency. They they mean for you just to use it as a transformer. So what you have to do, look underneath, there's usually a capacitor in there Snip. across the base. You have to crush it. You have to pull it out. So that thing then is no longer a ten point seven megahertz transformer. It's just broadband. It, it's just, it's broadband. You just broadbanded it and you you're able to do it. So I told him, I said, give it a try. Flip take that 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 trans that can out look at the bottom see if you can see the capacitor if it's there crush it put the thing back in boom he's listening to shortwave broadcast with this thing now so that was very satisfying really good good work there uh alvin getting that thing going with just a little bit of tribal knowledge from uh from solder smoke got a i, I put this up on the blog uh golf mic four oscar oscar uniform built a double sideband rig in scotland called the bitsy and he, he puts this thing on the air. It really looks cool. I got it up on the solder smoke nice. blog. Take a look at that. I'm always glad to see somebody else messing around with, with double sideband. And then the guy I considered kind of the guru of double sideband. When I was first getting started with double sideband back 2000, 2001. Eric Sears. No, no. There's Eric Sears. He's one of the gurus. But the other one, Peter Parker, Parker VK3YE. Yeah. Now, uh, Peter has just put out a YouTube video dealing with the kind of problems that only the nerdiest among us worry about. This problem, Pete, and I know you may have worried about this at some point, is the incompatibility between a double sideband transmitter and a direct conversion receiver. Ooh. It just doesn't seem right. These, these things seem to be made for each other. Because if you have a direct conversion receiver, you just add a few stages, and now you have a double sideband transmitter direct conversion receiver transceiver. I've yeah. done this. Yeah. The, the problem is, if some guy down the road builds exactly the same rig, you really can't talk to each other without serious distortion. Doug Dumas warned about this. And it's true. I didn't want it to be true. This is one of these things like, you know, you, you learn about it when you were a little kid and you think, I don't want that to be true. And then you find out it is true. Okay. It's true. There's no denying it. The theory backs it up. And it's because even even if you get the two VFOs on exactly the same frequency. You're zero beat. Well, you're zero beaten. But even if you get them exactly on the same frequency, they're not going to be in the same phase. So you're going to be trying to receive double sideband signal from across town and the phase relationship between the carrier and your receiver is going to be different from the phase that produced. <laughs> it's going to be distorted. And it is. It is distorted. But Peter, looking at some old articles in old ham radio magazines, discovered, rediscovered a way to make them compatible. Mm. It is so cool. What he does is he runs a converter. And so he basically, out of the converter, he subtracts the audio signal from uh, a carrier signal. So you get sideband inversion. Then he drives the um, 
the, the actual DSP transmitter with inverted sidebands. So in close to the carrier, it's three KCs. Out towards the end, it's uh, 300 hertz, right? It's the opposite of what you'd expect. Then you could take another double sideband receiver, a, a direct conversion receiver, and just put it a little bit above, right? So you copy and then it. You copy it, and you're not going to be bothered by the other one, so you're not going to have the distortion. It's all math. It's all mathematics. It, it's it's all math, and it's it's really cool. And I I put Peter's video describing this whole thing up on the Solder Smoke blog. Check it out. Also from from uh, from down under from the VK3 area from the Melbourne area. I got this wrong in the last podcast, and I felt bad about it. Paul VK3HN has I I, I again kind of plugged his. Uh, his Summit Prowler, but that's not his latest invention. He's had several since then. And so what, what I meant to talk about last time was uh, his low-band AM, AM transmitter VFO controller work. And he, 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 it really looks great. It's, it's like this combination of analog and digital stuff. Very, very nice. He and, he and I are in competition. Who can build the most transceivers? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you're going to win, Pete. <laughs> But Paul's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, and, but and he also his his latest video is a digital SWR and power meter. Very interesting. I, I really <laughs> I really like that. So Paul, thanks very much for all the great videos. Uh, we I mentioned last time we had a great message from Craig Alpha Alpha Zero Zulu Zulu about assembler language and writing software the hard way. Yes. None of this C++ nonsense for him. No, man, it's assembler code. He wants to get right down to the essence of it. Bare knuckles software writing. I, I kind of like it. I'll never do it myself, but I just it kind of, I liked it. I put his message up on the Solder Smoke blog, so please check it out. You'll like it. And then finally, the last message, Pete. This maybe got me thinking about you and Farhan and a lot of the other musicians. We have musicians here you know, in the solder smoke world. VK2BLQ alerted us to an article that appeared in Rolling Stone magazine about one Jack Holzman. Jack is the president and founder and chief bigwig in charge of Electra Records. Now, we've heard of Electra Records because Electra is like the, you know, the, the, the big music producer for all the big rock and roll bands and the the thing is they showed a picture of young jack holtzman from like 1956 sitting in what they called his home studio ha it was no home studio it was a ham shack he's a ham um and we even got we even know what his what his call sign was but anyway i was reading this and it was real interesting his thoughts on business his thoughts on rock and roll not too much on ham radio but he obviously had this technological connection with us and i started thinking hey we should give jack a call you know have our people call his people you know he's out there in hollywood and la la land yeah there Maybe you go do lunch do lunch yeah there you set go. up a deal you play guitar Farhan plays guitar. We've got to we've got to have a few guys here who can sing. I I think this is there's an opportunity here, don't you think? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. All right, I'll call. I'll call. I'll have my people call Jack's people. Yeah, you you know I looked at his shack. 
he had some interesting pieces of equipment there. He had a WRL Globe Scout, a Helicrafters S53, a, uh, I'm not sure about the Hamlin, it looked like an SP600, but it might have been a 400. And he had some professional tape recorders in there, but he's obviously a CW guy because there was no mic. There was no uh, mic. He had his hand. He had his hand on a key. Yeah. He had his hand on a, yeah. on a bug. Yeah. And the and the the, the, the is receiver, the S fifty three. Yes. I saw that. That was like off to the off to the left. Yes. Right? Yes. In a little box. It looked vaguely like an S thirty eight for a second. Oh yeah. All right. I think. Pete, we are double. We are in double overtime here. We're like at one hour fifteen minutes. Cool. This has been great fun. Yeah, we're gonna have to do that. We're gonna have to do this more frequently. But we've been busy. It's been busy times. Yeah. Uh, now you, you with the new are congratulations on the new granddaughter. Yeah. Are, are your kids coming home for Thanksgiving? Uh, Maria is coming home because the school <clears> closes <throat> at Thanksgiving, and then they don't come back. They don't go back. So they're gonna. She's gonna come back. They're not going back at all, or just no. Not? They're Most of, lot, a lot of the colleges this year are sending the kids back at Thanksgiving, and then they're not going to go back mm. until after the first of the year. Mm. So, I mean, it, it's you know, it, it's it's scary stuff. Like I hate to go back to the dreary stuff we were talking about in the beginning, but she's going to have to get tested before she comes back. You know, because she's been out there in in college land. So the poor kid is going to have to do this again, and it's it's just it's just. It is very tough. Yeah, it's tough. A lot of a lot of people. Of and course, and, have a lot and just for to go back to the very beginning, th this yeah. wave is bigger than the first wave. No. There are more people getting sick every day. It's going to people hit. have becoming people have become kind of a complacent and bored yeah. with the whole thing. But yeah. I mean, just our our admonitions in the beginning: stay in the shack, protect yourself, yeah. take care. You know, wear the wear the mask, do it. Um, it it's more important than ever. Yeah, absolutely and so tell everybody out there please stay safe it's because it is it is worse than ever yeah yeah D don't be a denier just no, listen no. to the science listen to fauci that, that's it you know people pe people think you look like fauci pete <laughs> I, 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 when I, when I, I put your picture up on the blog a couple of weeks ago, and some guy sends me a message that says, "Hey, how did you get Anthony Fauci to appear on Sonder Smoke?" <laughs> he's a paisan, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. he's from New York too. Yeah. 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 All right, Pete Giuliano. Thanks very much. Thanks to all of our listeners. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to have a podcast before Thanksgiving, but if not, wish everybody happy Thanksgiving. Remember the five principles, you know, social distancing, wear a mask, wash your hands, you know, and uh, the other thing is don't wear a beret. Don't. It's it's nothing but trouble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and get out there and vote, get like out I said there at the vote. beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and tell all your friends and relatives to do the same thing. Yeah. All right. But, but the early voting is very encouraging, and it's also encouraging that young people voting. People that never voted before, first-time vote. And uh, we, we that's, stood online out there on October sixteenth. We were out there. We voted. I know you voted by mail. Very good. <clears throat> Eighty-seven million people already. Yeah, you know they got a really slick system here in California. Um, we put it in a Dropbox, an official Dropbox. Two days later, I got an email and I got a telephone call. That says we got it. Good. That no, was good. That's great. Good to hear. Very encouraging. Yeah. All right. Pete, seven threes from Northern Virginia. Seven threes from the West Coast. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Ciao.
That's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!